Hello, Freaking Geeks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Freaking Geeks podcast. We're your hosts, Michael and Sarah. Hey, geeks. All right, so uh, Raker is not here with us this week, and we should probably announce it for the, uh, well, I guess for a while, Raker will not be with us. Don't worry, he'll be back. Um, just He wanted to reassure everyone. Uh, he'll be back, however, um, due to uh, work issues, things like that, uh, just really, really, really busy guy at the moment, and that makes it hard for him to be able to kind of do what he has to do in order to prepare for the podcast. That obviously includes watching whatever movie we're reviewing, lots of notes. It sounds like it wouldn't take that long, but, you know, when you have that and then you have to actually sit down and record, you know, and you're a busy guy and you got a lot going on at the moment, you know. Yeah, he's got kids. We don't have that kind of pressure on us. <laughs> yeah, he's not yet. So, yeah. So on top of the you know that, along with work and everything, uh, he just has to take a a hiatus from the podcast. Of course, he'll be back um, here. I think probably some point in the next couple of months. I guess uh, six to eight weeks, um, <laughs> something like that. Um, he wants to definitely be back by the time we do um, the Kingsman. The Kingsman to the Secret Circle, so um, just just be prepared that uh, Raker will be back at that point. Be prepared for Raker. <laughs> be prepared, right? Yeah. Uh, all right. So to, uh, today and, and obviously this week, we are going to be reviewing Before Sunrise. So for anyone who's listening to this and they're unsure of what this is about, if you haven't watched the movie, first thing I would say is stop listening and go watch the movie and come back. Because um, you cannot appreciate this without having seen it. Correct. Um, however, if you're one of those people that doesn't mind spoilers and would rather listen to a podcast like this where we go on and on about a movie and then go watch it, and there are people out there that are like that, then fine. You know, just uh, come along for the ride as we discuss this movie uh, and hopefully... You know, you'll be intrigued enough by what we have to say in our description of the movie and uh, go and watch it. All right. So before sunrise, I'm going to give some information about this movie before we get into any kind of discussion. So before sunrise uh, was released on January 27th, 1995. It has a runtime of an hour and 41 minutes. It's directed by Richard Linklater. It's written by Richard Linklater and Kim Krizan, uh, who had a, a part, I believe, in Dazed and Confused, a uh, small part. And it also was written by Julie Delpy and Ethan Hawke, uh, who were uncredited, by the way. By the way, they're the, the two stars of the movie. Uh, they yeah, were, they rewrote most of it, didn't they? Yeah, they rewrote most of it. And in fact, they were a little... Mm, would. Yes, that's a good word. Tiffed that uh, <laughs> that they were uncredited because apparently they re- they rewrote most of the script, uh, or at least from a dialogue standpoint. Um, yeah, I'd be tiffed too. Like when most of that's your own work. Yeah, I want to be credited. Thank you. <laughs> right. Uh, budget was two million five hundred thousand dollars, two point five million, and the box office was five point four million. So it more than doubled its cost. Um, two point five million. Whether it's 1995 or whether it's today, that's low budget. That, that's like a, that's indie filmmaking right there. 
Um, I think there's a, a threshold for when a movie is an indie film and when it's not um, in terms of budget. And I believe today's standards, I think if a movie is made for $10 million or less, it's considered indie. Um, Probably. Anything above that, you know, I mean, it gets a bit gray there, I guess. Some people would argue, but I, I guess the general consensus is around $10 million or less as an indie film. Like, or indie film. So going back to 1995, you know, again, this is this is low budget. Um, so, again, the stars are Ethan Del... Or Ethan Delby. <laughs> well, I got that wrong. Um, well, if only they were married. <laughs> if they were only married, right. Um Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy are the stars. And I'm going to run in uh, to a bit of a plot synopsis here. So, on June 16th, 1994, Jesse, an American on the last leg of a European trip, meets Prisian Celine, who is headed back to university after visiting her grandmother in Budapest. After striking up an initial conversation, they continue it over lunch before Jesse convinces Celine to get off the train and walk around the city before he has to catch his flight in the morning. During the night, they mostly walk and talk and uh, chat about everything under the sun with the city as an essential third character. It helps these two young souls open up in a way that they might not usually do. And it's a meeting of the minds as much as the heart, with each admitting the fleeting magic, as well as the minutes, of their special night together until they must officially part ways. So... That's the gist of this movie, really. Truly, yes. Yeah. So if you haven't watched Before Sunrise, you might be a little confused by the synopsis because you're thinking, wait a second, you know, where's the other character? Where's the the person that fights for the, the love of Celine? Or or Celine must fight for the love of Jesse because some other woman is in the way. You know, all of those kind of cliched uh, tropes that you see in a lot of romantic comedies and uh, just a lot of romance movies in general, uh, they don't exist here. This is a movie where a lot of that is simply cut away. It's gone. It's not necessary because what this movie is about is two people who meet. There's that that genuine spark between them. This attraction um and we see them explore that attraction and, and explore that spark. There is a lot of talking in this movie. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> uh, it's pretty much all talking in this movie. <laughs> it is. So, Sarah, um, you know, give me your initial reaction. You know, you watched this movie how many years ago? Probably ten. To maybe even 12. I was probably like 14 or 15, so it was probably like 12 years ago, first time I saw this. Uh, a friend had recommended it, and I mean, back then I was absolutely just floored. I thought it was incredible. And other than probably watching it once or twice more when I was, you know, 16, I haven't watched it since then. And But it's always a movie that's stuck in my mind, and it's been a difficult movie to forget. It's got the most incredible story and pieces of you pieces of it just have a way of sticking with you because 
what they talk about, it's so, has such a connection into our real lives, and it's stuff that we all experience. It's incredibly real. Uh, yeah, it's the most amazing movie. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, I watched this movie, let's see, it was 2002 is when I watched Before Sunrise. It was recommended to me in college. I was told, you're, you're going to love this movie. It's uh, fantastic. <laughs> it's got amazing dialogue. Characters are wonderful. If you're a person who normally hates romances, you might actually come away loving at least this romance. Uh, and I watched it, and I was blown away. I mean, I, I hate to say it, I was a little obsessed you know, with this movie, actually. Um, I, I've watched this movie at least a dozen times, probably closer to 20. I, I kind of, you know, I didn't track the number of viewings, but I watched this, uh, you know, quite a bit, you know. So it's really, really got a special place in my heart. If I were to put this in my top, you know, 250 movies, which I'm currently working on that list uh, of mine, but... <laughs> It, it makes my it makes my top 25 I would have to agree yeah it's one of those um, it's one of those movies that affects you and more than like just your average movie that you'll eventually just kind of eventually leaves your mind because you can come back to this movie at any point in your life and connect with a different part of it. And that that counts for all these movies, uh, before sunrise, before sunset, and before midnight. Uh, but I mean, I'm coming back to it older for the first time. I'm watching it old, being older than the characters in the movie as they're portrayed. I think they're like, I think he's 22 and she's 23, yeah. and it gives me just a whole different perspective when I like when she said her age. I was just kind of like, God, man. I'm at a point now where I've surpassed their moment. And that was just like a strange feeling for me. Did it make you like, sad? A little bit. A little like, wistful. A little wistful, right? Yeah, like like not like the kind of sadness like I oh I'd wish I'd ran off to Europe and kinda of had this, but just like sad like I don't know that I'm catching up to these characters <laughs> kind of sadness, you know? Yeah. Yeah, oh, I agree. I understand what you're saying. You know, when I first watched this this movie, uh, I was 20, you know, um, going on 21. So I wasn't even as old as the characters in the movie. And around the time I graduated, you know, from college, I was probably, you know, around Jesse's age or so, uh, 22 going on 23. And yeah, I mean, it's... It's one of those things I look at now, and I'm 35. And <laughs> it's a hard thing to say. It's isn't a it? it's a hard thing to say. It, but you know, when I watched this movie, or when I watched it for this review, it probably had been, I say, about two years since I've seen it. Um, because I had to think about when the last time it was that I watched this movie. So it's about two years. And I don't think I've, I'm looking at it any differently, I guess, than I did two years ago, to a certain extent. But I had to look at this movie from a critical perspective because I'm doing a review for it. And so I was looking. Yeah, so at you the, really have to think about it, right? I had to think about. It. I was like looking at the dialogue. I was listening to what they were saying. Um, 
you know, really paying attention to the body language, to the camera movement by Linklater, uh, you know, to the script, to, to all the things that you look at if you're being critical of a movie. Um, so that was kind of different for me because uh, I hadn't really done that before. I just appreciated the movie because I enjoy it so much. And yeah. subconsciously, you know, a lot of that is kind of there. Like, oh, you know, the script's wonderful. Or, you know, I love this shot that Linklater has or whatever. But, you know, this was the first time I really had to pay real attention to this. And I really came away um, blown away. Uh, I really don't have a whole lot at fault, I guess, for this movie. Though I still want to talk about everything. Um but I do, before we get into that, I do want to give you a little bit more uh, trivia here because this movie has history that most people don't know about. Do you know yeah, what I'm talking about? Do, do you know what I I'm talking about? I think I know what you're talking about. I, okay. I know some trivia about this, and I'm pretty sure I know what you're talking about. Oh, okay. Um, so this is, uh, this is all about the initial concept for this movie and how it came about. So, uh, yes. so the initial concept for this movie was born from an experience that Richard Linklater had back in 1989, right? He was only been out of college, I believe, for a very short period of time. Um, he was passing through Philadelphia uh, when he met Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, when he met a young woman and struck up a conversation. It was in a toy shop. Her name was Amy Lairhop. So like, it was like very much like this situation here okay so you have two people they strike up this conversation and they just enjoy the conversation the, the, the everything they're talking about and so they passed the night by walking and talking all around philadelphia they took buses and trains and all that stuff uh, much like the characters do here uh, they engaged in, you know, all kind of discussions from the superficial, you know, discussions that we have when we're young and, you know, in college and we're talking about stuff that really isn't all that deep, right? But, you know, we think it is at the time. Um, <laughs> and and then, of course, they also got into some very, you know, deep conversations as well. Um, in fact, Linklater said in an interview years later, and this is an exact quote, he said, uh, she had a crazy, cute, wonderful energy about her. We talked about art, science, film, the gamut. We flirted and had a wonderful night together. Neither <laughs> of us had an agenda. And uh, they parted ways. You know, the their experiences, their experience ended. They they parted uh, ways and they moved on. So fast forward and. Linklater, you know, becomes kind of obsessed with creating a movie that was about this night. And in fact, he told her, he told Amy while they were on this whole excursion, he said, I'm going to make a movie about this. And she's like, a movie about what? He said, this, you know, like this here, what, what we're doing, you know, like two people meeting, you know, having a wonderful time talking, you know, and he, he did it. So he wrote the script with Kim Krizan, and they they cast the movie. It took him about nine months to cast the actors. Um, he initially thought that Ethan Hawke was was too young for the part, uh, but he eventually got Delpy and and Hawke in a room together, found them to have uh, exceptional chemistry, and that was it. So he shot the movie, came out, uh, critical acclaim, you know, for this movie. 
And then he shot the sequel before Sunset. And he kept saying, you know, he was hoping he would see her around. Like at one of the one of these screenings that she would show up and it didn't but happen. That she'd find him. Yeah, that she would find him. So fast forward to 2010, Linklater received uh, a letter in the mail. And it was from, from a, a friend of Amy's. Apparently this friend... Uh, had followed Linklater's career and must have at some point realized that these films were about, or at least in part, about Richard and Amy and their night together. So he, she wrote him this letter, and in the letter she informed Richard that uh, Amy had actually died in a motorcycle accident back in uh, 1993. Isn't that so sad? Or, I'm sorry, 1994. 1994 i'm sorry 1994 and yes it is it's terrible um and in fact the motorcycle accident was just one of those crazy things that looking back it, it it's it's nuts that it even happened apparently the actual accident was that uh, amy by the way never rode motorcycles uh she was at i believe a party um and she, a guy there offered her to take her home um, on a mo- motorcycle. She said, okay, got on. And as they were going across the bridge, uh, he lost control and uh, it wrecked. She sustained injuries and died, I believe, a couple of days later. He, by the way, walked away almost without a scratch. Um, it's always the case. Yeah. It's the innocent that pays. Yeah. And I don't think like, he wasn't drunk or anything. I, I don't think. I think it was just one of those things that happened. Uh, I think it was Probably dark out. To show off. Well, I, no, I think it was raining, um, and I think he uh. simply lo- lost control and, and because of the the slickness. So, uh, Linklater, you know, received this letter, found this out, and apparently it was, it was very very tough. He uh, apparently shed some tears uh, because of this this uh, because. The, somebody who affected him a great deal and really affected his career to a great degree. Um, you know, and, and that memory and that night is, you know, I imagine so potent for him. Um, fueled partially by nostalgia, I'm sure, but just in that this woman had such a deep and resounding effect on his life. So, yeah, Something that's obviously stuck with him and, I mean, to learn, like, you never know, he probably might have made this as also just a way to find her again, you know? Mm-hmm. To find a way to reach out and to have that information come into your hands, like, it's gotta be just devastating. Like, you're hoping you'll one day be reunited and get that second chance and it's just never gonna happen. It's so sad. It is so sad. So uh, I did want to mention that because I feel like it's important that we inform people listening to this, if they have watched these movies or this movie at the very least, that they understand the, um, the beginnings of this story, how it even came about, you know, how the idea eventually went from this meeting between two people to a very, very beloved film that we're talking about. And of course, a very beloved, uh, trilogy so far of movies um so there it is all right so let's let's talk a little bit 
about Before Sunrise because it's such <laughs> an important movie. Um, I consider it to be one of the best movies I've ever seen. And there's so much to discuss. So, uh, Sarah, what's one of the first things you want to talk about when it comes to this movie? I say we start from the beginning when they meet. Okay. Uh, they, they're meeting on a train. And it starts off with the have a, a German couple having an argument. And everything sounds worse in German. <laughs> <laughs> you know they're fighting, but it sounds like, you know, just World War Three is happening between these two. And uh, I, I looked up what they were talking about, and apparently, like the guy who was reading a newspaper article about like uh, seventy thousand women in Vienna are uh, alcoholics, and he says that's that's you, you're in that demographic to his wife, and she just like reams him out for it. Uh, so that was pretty funny. Um, and yeah, that's Julie Depley. She moves because you know, <laughs> you don't want to be near an arguing couple. You don't want to be in that fire. And yeah, sits near uh, Jesse, mm-hmm. and later reveals that you know, she specifically you know sat near him because she thought he was interesting looking. And it just starts from there. He asks her like what um, they're saying, but she doesn't speak much German. Uh, but that just starts their conversations. They just and one thing that I thought was just amazing is how. Uh, their meeting, it's very genuine to how the awkwardness that two people who meet for the first time, even though they want to talk to each other, there's still that level of awkwardness that's there. It's just brilliant writing. And to know that, like, Ethan Hawke and Julie probably were the ones writing that. Crazy level of detail between them. Oh, I totally agree. Um, In fact, I even wrote this down in the notes regarding how their early scenes, and, and not just this particular scene, but even when they move to the boxcar uh, to yes. get lunch. And yes. uh, there's there's a lot of halting um, pauses in the dialogue where you could tell Jesse's just trying to think of something to say. Yes, um, exactly. Like there's, when they move, because they, they initially, they're both reading books. They show each other which books they're reading. And then, you know, they, they start a little bit of conversation there and then he says hey i'm gonna go maybe grab some some lunch here you want to come with me she says yeah so they go in there so they're sitting there and he's like so you know why are you traveling on the train and she's like oh i was visiting my grandmother in budapest and then he's like so how is she and (laughs) celine laughs and it's a laugh where you know the the person is just saying something to keep the conversation going like it's not it, it's like that is one of those brilliant things because they're trying to illustrate that, look, these aren't two people that are just like, hey, I just met you and this conversation that we're having is just flowing so naturally because conversations when you first meet somebody, especially if you're attracted to them, uh, don't flow usually that that well right off the no. bat. You know, you're just like, you're trying to like, okay, try not to sound like an idiot. Trying to sound like exactly. an idiot. And it's the only thing that's going through your head. And so you see this with Jesse. And eventually, yes, their conversation does begin to flow more naturally, but it takes some time. And I really appreciated that because from a script standpoint, it, that could have very easily been just bypassed. They could have just said, let's get these people just chatting. They're just like one get idea. Get right into another. it. Yep. And it, and it doesn't. And it's brilliant. 
Um, so, so they chat on the train. They're having these wonderful conversations. Jesse talks about, um, they talk about everything. And, and when we say this is a movie full of talking, I mean, it is literally, that is it. I mean, there's some shots. It's all dialogue. There are some shots of Vienna. There are a few other characters that you see very briefly, but for the most part, like 95% of this movie is these two walking along different places. Sometimes they're eating food. Sometimes they're just walking. Sometimes they're sitting, but invariably they are talking. They're discussing everything you can think of and they're loving it. it. This is two people who are both intelligent. They have things they, they, need, they feel like they can say to each other. Uh, learn very quickly that the other person wants to hear what they have to say. That is the the master stroke to this movie is that you have two characters who actually want to listen to the opinion of the other person. Yeah, and there's actual like moments taken where you can see either she like after the conversation has ended and they say something just just profound to each other, you can see the moments of appreciation on each of them, their faces. Like, you see it from her, and you see it from him as well. I, I noticed it a lot more from Jesse uh, after Celine's, like, talked. Like, he just, like, stares at her for... with these eyes that's just for a good second or two. And it's just... You can see appreciation for the conversation they just had, how much he... it's He's acknowledging that it's not a conversation he would have with most people, and he's just, like astounded that he's having it here with somebody so easily you know it's it's wonderful he's smitten you know um (laughs) that too (laughs) which is which is totally understandable um celine is as jesse refers to her later on in the movie a a botticelli angel Um, yes and like when i first saw this when i was 16 i don't know what botticelli was no clue but (laughs) now as older i'm like that is the most romantic compliment ever <laughs> and just whole new appreciation. <laughs> right. Oh, for sure. Um, but anyway, so let, let's keep uh, running through here. Uh, so they're on the train. He, he talks about, you know, being a kid and seeing his dead grandmother and, and the, the mist. Uh, you take like a, a garden hose and you like, put your finger over it. So it's like this, this spray. And yep. he, his grandmother had just passed away. And so he, he you know, it's like, I, it was like three, maybe four years old. And he did this and he was by himself and he could see his grandmother in the, in the mist. And he went toward his parents and they were like, oh, you know, people die and you never see him again. And later on in the movie, Celine says that was the moment she actually fell for him. It was <laughs> when a you know, little boy with such big dreams and... It's this wonderful moment where it's like the, the beginning of the attraction, the true attraction, not just like, hey, that's a cute person. Like I'm seeing in like a deeper look into someone's soul, you know, it's a depth. Right, right. So they have this conversation. They talk about death and being afraid of death and cable access channels <laughs> and all that stuff. I mean, there's a wide range of topics that they discuss. But eventually, they they pull in at, at Vienna. Uh, Jesse has to get off of the train because, of course, he's got to catch a flight the next morning early. Uh, he comes back and asks Jess or asks Celine to get off of the train with him because he feels like they have a connection. Uh, there's something there, 
and he should take a chance and get off the train. So he runs this whole spiel about, you know, 20 years from now and you're looking back on your life, you maybe have wished <laughs> that you would have got off the train with me. So why don't you just do it now? That way you don't have to look back and regret it. This is essentially what he's what he's asking her to do. And she agrees. I give him big props to that. See, like that took a little courage to like it's somebody you haven't talked to for a long time, but there's a connection there, and you're actually going out on a limb to you know, continue continue on this conversation, and somebody else taking a chance on you. Like you're dedicating your entire day, no matter what, no matter if this goes south, you're dedicating your whole day mm-hmm. to this person, and you're going to be stuck with them for the next twenty four hours, and it takes balls. <laughs> Yeah, because it could be terrible. I mean, this initial conversation yep. might be wonderful, but what if they get out there and they're, they're talking about stuff and, and maybe you get really offended by something he says <laughs> and the next thing you know, you're stuck alone in this city by yourself with nowhere to, to go or you know, no money to do anything until the next day. It's What do you do? So yeah, They're both taking risks. They're both taking risks. She agrees to get off, of course, and they do. Um, What's well, really hilarious in a way is that it isn't until after they're off of the train they're walking to try to find a a locker for her stuff when they finally introduce each other or like well introduce one another like themselves to (laughs) one another like like hey by the way i'm celine oh i'm jesse and so jesse james by the way (laughs) jesse yeah right jesse james um (laughs) that was hilarious and yeah because she's initially confused but i i liked I liked it because you could tell they were so into their conversation for the last, who knows, couple of hours that they they totally forgot to actually introduce themselves. Yeah, um, I, I thought that was wonderful. Yeah. So they, they go onto a bridge um, and it's a little awkward. You know, they even, they even say that. I mean, literally... <laughs> you know, Celine and Jesse both are like, yeah, it's a little, little awkward, but it's, it's all right. So they decide to ask you know, someone uh, bought some places to see. Now, I want to say up front, this is the only scene in the entire movie that for some reason I just flat out don't like. Is it? <laughs> it's the only scene. Every other scene in this entire movie, every other, <laughs> every other uh, second of celluloid, I enjoy. But for some reason, when they get on this bridge and they interact, there's, there's two... Um, Austrian guys there and they introduce themselves and it turns out that they're putting on this play and I don't know why but I'm just like fast forward <laughs> I, yeah the play it sounds so stupid that you don't even want to hear them talk about it and I, it just has right? no place to be in this movie it's a weird thing it's just like it's like meeting two weird weirder you know people I guess, and I hate saying that because I feel like I'm attacking attacking Austrians or something, but I'm not attacking <laughs> Austrians. It's just that it's such, uh, and they even reference it later in the movie when they go, "Oh, we've got to go to this guy's play," and I'm thinking, like, you know, they could have you were going to go anyways. Like they could have cut. Like the thing is, like this is the only part in the movie where I feel like this is truly extraneous material. Like, had they not asked these guys? for assistance if they had just figured out where to go on their on their own uh it wouldn't have affected the quality of the movie whatsoever I, yeah exactly i i don't this is like one of those scenes i just feel was totally unnecessary and, and like to be honest that's my only criticism uh in terms of 
like the amount of uh, scenes in the movie, uh, the places that they go, the things that they see, the people they interact with. It's the only time where I feel like it's not important. So um, anyway, I totally they, agree. They totally talk to these guys and they eventually just move on. Um, so they, they end up uh, going around to some different places around Vienna. They jump on, on buses. They, you know, hop off of trolleys. Um, they kind of go around and you can see them talking and getting closer. Uh, the halting speech and the ums and the ahs, they're gone. You know, they're just, you know, standing on the trolley as it's, it's going wherever they're, they're going to be taken to. They're just talking and having a good time. They're laughing, they're joking. It's wonderful. And, yeah, and you have like the, he'll put his, like, put an arm behind her, uh, or she'll just kind of, you know, laugh and touch his arm, just like the little things you do in the beginning of a relationship mm-hmm. that, you know, they're just like barely any kind of affection, but they're like those super electric, I can't believe this person's this close, or she just touched my arm kind of like electricity that mm-hmm. they include. And I think that's just, ugh, it's so well detailed and great. Right. Uh, so they go to a vinyl record shop which is pretty great. And uh, while they're there, they pick out this record. There's a listening booth. Uh, and for yes. people out there, they're like, what's that? If you're younger <laughs> and you have no idea what a listening booth is, um, I'm sorry. But uh, a listening booth is where you can go. You can uh, put on a, a record. Uh, maybe if they are, have been updated for today, you maybe put in like a CD or who knows, even an MP3 <laughs> player, whatever. But the point is, you can go there, you can put on music, and you can actually listen to it in the listening booth. Because that's like what Before it is. you buy it. Right. So they stand there. It's such a wonderful scene. No dialogue whatsoever. They're literally standing, because it's small, right? This listening booth, it's tiny. Yes. So they're literally stuffed in there together, and the song's playing, and it's so on point, this song. Because um, it's literally about what they're going through. And they're like looking every time Jesse looks and their eyes meet, she looks away or she looks up at Jesse. He looks away. And it's always just as their eyes get ready to meet. One person looks away. And it's because there's this, uh, the listening booth creates forced intimacy. Okay. Whether they're prepared for that, uh, that level of of physical closeness doesn't matter. Uh, They're literally, right in each other's personal space. And so the, the listening booth forces that upon them, which, you know, they're attracted to each other. So that's fine. But it's also scary because at this point in the relationship, they're just like, Oh my God, he's, he's right next to me or he's looking in my, in my face. Oh, you know? And, and so it's, it's wonderful. I love this scene. It, it doesn't require any dialogue. And that, by the way, is why it's perfect. It shows you that you do not need dialogue whatsoever to create a perfect scene. What do you think of this? Yeah. Their body speaks way more than any kind of dialogue would have done in that scene. The music speaks for the entire scene and what they're what's happening on its own. You don't need dialogue and like the way they look at each other, it's just like you can see that they also want to have their first kiss, but it just doesn't feel like the right moment, and things are a little too awkward, and they're crammed in a small space, and it's just the kind of awkward intimacy that you have in the beginning of a relationship. It's so well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so they go to a trolley. They're kind of you know on there, just trying to travel to wherever they're they're going next. 
and um, Jesse and Selene have this conversation where he decides, you know, given the fact that they were on this in this listening booth and they've been talking for a while, they decide you know, he decides to start like some nip, int- intimate conversation. Put it that way, um, he decides <laughs> they're going to do like this thing where you know uh, I'm going to ask you a question and you have to give me you know an honest reply. So his first question <laughs> is, when did you have first sexual feelings for? another person and so you know Celine goes through this whole thing about you know how Jean-Marc Fleury some kid that she knew back in like a camp what a name by the way (laughs) by the the way yes Jesse's reaction is perfect he just kind of like rolls his eyes like are you serious (laughs) so Um, French (laughs) right and uh so she's like a a teenager at this point and um I don't know she might have been like what 14 13 14 something like that anyway so she likes this jean-marc fleury and apparently he's a swimmer and he used to shave his arms and legs which jesse finds absolutely repulsive by the way (laughs) me too so she she describes him as like a sexy dolphin or something like that yeah and i I lost it i was like how is that attractive you french people are weird yeah whatever hey uh, whatever flicks you about, I guess. Um, what does that say about Jesse? <laughs> right. right. Uh, so, um, so anyway, you know, I don't want to get too in-depth here. I thought it was just, that was funny. But anyway, they have this, this conversation. They talk about the afterlife and reincarnation kind of thing and and all of that. But, uh, but the point of the conversations is it, it, again, illustrates that they're starting to talk about more intimate subjects and they're getting closer. Um. So then we see uh, a shot of a Ferris wheel. Turns out this Ferris wheel, a bit of trivia here, it's the same Ferris wheel as, and, and Sarah, I'm, I, I know you've never watched it, so I'm not even going to start. Um, <laughs> the Third Man, right, which starred Orson Welles. This is a film back in, I want to say 1956, uh, I believe. Anyway, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a classic movie. A great movie, by the way. Uh, but that this Ferris wheel was in The Third Man. It was also in The Living Daylights, James Bond movie. Um, that was the one that starred... Uh, oh, I'm going to pull, pull in a blank. Uh, it was the 80s. It wasn't Pierce Brosnan. That was the 90s. And, of course, it wasn't Roger Moore. It was between Roger Moore and Pierce Brosnan. And I can't think of his name right now. Anyway, it was in The, it was in the Living Daylights. So we see Jesse and Celine. They're in the. They're at the top of this this thing, um, and they share their first kiss. And it's very sweet. Um, Celine is the aggressor <laughs> here. She's the one that kind of like says, "Do you want to kiss me?" He shakes his head yes, like a little boy, and, <laughs> and they they kiss, and then they embrace. And you can see the look on her face in that moment is. She knows that this thing growing, there's something growing between them, and um, you can almost tell that she knows it's a fleeting moment because he's going to have to leave in the morning. So already they're already like at a point where, or at least she's at a point where she's starting to understand like this is something special, and yet he's going to be going away. Yeah, it's precious. Yeah. So they move on. Um, you know, they have, they continue to have these conversations, they're going through the street. Uh, they see a woman dancing, you know, which is very, <laughs> yep. like, amazing. Um, they kind of stand there. The camera lingers on her for quite some time. It's it's very beautiful. Yeah, she does her performance and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, 
they they sit between buildings. Uh, Celine talks about how if there's any kind of of God, it's this space in between us, and it's also you know in the attempt at understanding one another. You know, like that's magic. Is this attempt to talk and and to understand things uh, when you discuss things with people that actually are open to hearing what you have to say. So that's quite wonderful. Yeah, some um, brilliant writing there. Yeah. So uh, so we move on. We, there's a... Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, man, there's so many scenes here. I'm trying to... I'm trying to I'm trying to make sure I'm, I'm in my head. I'm trying to do them in chronological order here. <laughs> um, so let me think here. Um, oh, so they're. I think they go to eat first, and they're sitting Are outside. They on a boat. Uh, no, the, I think it's no, on the it, no, it was at the cafe where the gypsy comes. Oh right 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 right. Um. Yeah. The it's, palm it's, reader. It, yeah, the palm reader. I'm sorry. Yeah, palm reader. So they're sitting yeah. there, they're eating. Um, and a palm reader comes to over to see if if Celine would like to have her palm read, and Celine says yes. Uh, I love this scene, by the way. Uh, the palm reader takes her hand. He tell or she tells uh, Celine that um, she is uh, interested in the power of a woman. Um, that she's becoming this powerful woman. That she's interested in essentially. Um, she's an adventurer, someone who's, who seeks adventure. But one of the things I really love about this little bit of dialogue is that the palm reader tempers all of that wonderful stuff with saying that you must, um, come basically, she, I'm trying to think of the exact wording. I think she says, but she says that you must come to terms with the awfulness of life. You have to accept yeah, the, the awfulness of life because... Only in doing so will you find true happiness and also true connection with other people. Um, and I really like that. I thought that was a excellent bit there. Yeah. And I love um, Jesse's reaction because she just kind of scolds him and waves him off. Like, uh, what did she even say to him? Oh, um, he, she took his hand. She's like, you know, this strange, this person, is he a stranger to you? And, and Celine says, yes. So she takes Jesse's hand, she traces her finger on it, and she says, don't worry, he's learning. Um, <laughs> it's and, like, well, thanks. <laughs> yeah. And then she, she says about how you know, she's going away, that we're, we're all stardust, that uh, everything billions of years ago was, was stardust, and so we're all stardust. And, and Jesse's like, that's all wonderful and everything but you know that's just a bunch of essentially bullshit right yes he's the skeptic and the one who's kind of having doubts and because he didn't get his nice fortune told uh celine just kind of calls him a baby about it right i thought that was really funny well i mean yeah but i understand like what he's trying to say which is like he thinks that that celine's being robbed blind you know yeah this woman just goes everywhere and says the exact same things to everybody and you know, like he even says, you know, I would just like to see, like see some little old lady, you know, save all her money, to, you know, get save all her money, go down to the palm reader, and she looks at her palm and she says, like, I just want like one of these palm readers to just be honest, you know, like hundred <laughs> percent. You have two weeks to live. <laughs> yeah, like she's like, 
you will have <laughs> you will have new new adventures you will have new new travels and new, new passions and every single day will be just like the day before 50 shillings please and you know so you know i understand jesse's point of view which is like hey this sounds great this is what they're, they're you're giving them money to hear something nice you know that's his point of view um However, they, they get into like a little bit of a, a heated argument slash discussion about this exact same thing. Because Celine in the next scene, as they're walking along the water, says, you know, I think, you know, you were kind of being a baby, more or less is what she's saying. <laughs> uh, because all the attention wasn't on you. And so they're in this argument when a poet. <laughs> uh, Use air quotes when you say that. <laughs> Yeah. Poet. Yeah. Um. But seriously, like, I like what Jesse says about, man, it's not like the kind of bums we have back in America. Like, why can't we have poet bums back in America? <laughs> right. Like, right? Right. Like, there's a romanticness to even the homeless in Europe that's just, like, not the same as this year. Right. Right. So, uh, actually, I uh, have the, the audio for this scene, and here it is. Okay, so, um, may I ask a question? Yeah. So, I would like to make a deal with you. I mean, instead of just asking you for money, I will ask you for a word. Yeah, you give me a word, I take the word, and then, then I will write a poem with the word inside. And if you like it, I mean, if you like my poem, and if you feel it adds something to your life in any way, then you can pay me whatever you feel like. I write in English, of course. Okay. All right, right. great. So? Pick a word. Oh, um... A word, uh... Milkshake. Milkshake? Oh, yeah. good. Yeah, I was gonna say rooster prick, but great. Milkshake. Milkshake? Okay, milkshake. <laughs> All right, so... Good. Cool. Okay. Gotta say, I like this uh, Viennese variation of bum. I like what he said about adding something to your life, no? Mm, yeah. So, uh, were we having our first fight back there? Yeah, I think oh. so. I think we were. <laughs> well, even if we were a little bit, you know, why does everyone think conflict is so bad? There's a lot of good things coming out of conflict. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I don't know, you know, I always think if I could just accept the fact that my life was supposed to be difficult, you know, that's what's mm. to be expected, then I might not get so pissed off about it, and I'd just yeah. be glad when something nice happened. Maybe that's why I'm still in school, you know. It's easier to have something to fight against. Yeah, well... We've all had such competitiveness ingrained in us. You know, I can be doing the most nothing thing. You know, I can be uh, drawing some darts or shooting some pool. And then all of a sudden, I feel it come over. I have got to win. Is that what you tried to get me off the train? Competitiveness? What do you mean? Okay. Good to poem. All right. Will you read it to us? Okay. Daydream delusion. Limousine eyelash. Oh, baby, with your pretty face. 
drop a tear in my wine glass. Look at those big eyes. See what you mean to me. Sweet cakes and milkshakes. I'm a delusion angel. I'm a fantasy parade. I want you to know what I think. Don't want you to guess anymore. You have no idea where I came from. You have no idea where we're going. Lodged in life. Like branches in the river. Flowing downstream, caught in the current. I carry you. You'll carry me. That's how it could be. Don't you know me? Don't you know me by now? All right, Sarah. What are your What are your thoughts? I, I love the the poem, and I really <laughs> wanted to break this this poem down and talk about it. Yeah, I, this is a great scene because uh, again, it's kind of a reflection of what they just had with the palm reader, and Jesse's being really skeptical. Like he probably just has this already made and plugs a word in where it fits. And Celine is, you know, she thinks like this was all made on the spot and it's authentic and it's truly a representation of kind of what they're going through right at the moment. And uh, it's just, it's kind of like a Mulder Scully thing. One believes and one doesn't. And that's kind of the attraction there too, that they can have a conflict. They even talk about how conflict isn't bad. It's good to have conflict. And, uh, I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah, it is. And be- be- because there's already this respect between the two of them where yeah, like they, they can, can have a respectful argument. Right, they can talk they can have opinions that the other doesn't agree with but they don't hold it against each other. Like if I say something and you're like I don't I don't agree with what you're saying, I think it's this way, it's okay. Like it's fine that you have a different point of view but the respect is still there. Like, I still want to hear what you have to say, even if what you have to say doesn't fall in line with my thinking. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about Delusion Angel. Break it down. (laughs) So uh, I'm going to run through this again. Daydream Delusion, Limousine Eyelash. Oh, baby, with your pretty face. Drop a tear in my wine glass. Look at those big eyes. All right. So really this this whole poem is about Jesse and Celine. And yes. it's kind of a reflection of where they are currently, but also the possibility of their future. Okay. So obviously, um, you know, daydream delusion, that's Celine, right? She is, a, she is a daydream. She's like this perfect daydream delusion of Jesse's. Yeah. Okay. And vice versa. But, but certainly, I think I look at this from a male's point of view, considering that the poet is a male. So, um, limousine, limousine eyelash, uh, pretty face. It's obviously, you know, Celine. Uh, look at those big <laughs> eyes. Uh, um, yeah, she's got incredible eyes anyway. <laughs> right. We'll, we'll get to that. Uh, see what you mean to me. Uh, sweet cakes and milkshakes. I'm a delusion angel. Again, Celine. Um, I'm a fantasy parade. Same thing. Um, I want, I want you to know what I think. Don't want you to guess anymore. Uh, you have no idea where I came from. We have no idea where we're going. Again, this is about, um, where, you know, their, where their possibility or possibly headed, uh, from a relationship standpoint, because right now they're just together. They haven't even known each other that long, you know, maybe six to eight hours, maybe, um, 
total time that they've been yeah. together. So it hasn't been that long. Um, and I like how the poem is also the reflection of later on when they're talking, like, um, when the, in the poem where it says, I want to know what you're thinking. And then they end up actually doing, we'll get to it, but the, uh, phone call mm. conversations yeah. that where they can, they figure out a way to tell each other what they're thinking without having the vulnerability. And I yeah. think that that probably came exactly from hearing this. Yes. Uh, subconsciously, I agree. Yes. Uh, lodged in life, uh, like two branches in a river flowing downstream, um, caught in a current. Uh, to me, that represents life. You know, life is a stream uh, flowing down river, uh, caught in a current, meaning life's troubles, life's day-to-day, whatever. Um, I'll carry you, you carry me. That's how it could be. Don't you know me? Don't you know me by now? So, again, the last several lines are about the possibility of their future. You carry, I carry you, you carry me. That's how it could be. Meaning the possibility of them being together in the future. So I love this. We can survive I love, the yeah, current. I love, yeah, exactly. And I love this, this poem. Um, it, it's such a, it's so well written, so well done. Um, it really is, uh, particularly, amazing so yeah like the first time you hear it you think it's just kind of craziness but when you really sit down and listen to it it's like damn that's accurate mm-hmm. <laughs> and it makes perfect sense uh it's like yeah. the first time i heard limousine eyelashes i was like okay this guy's a nutter butter <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it makes perfect sense <laughs> right um all right so let's let's move on here so after this whole thing plays out, uh, they eventually make their way to, uh, I guess it's a, a bar, yeah, but it looks like there's a, a you know, people playing up uh, on stage. There's a guy, a guitarist, um, Celine, um, offers to buy Jesse a beer because I guess Jesse paid for the, the poem. And uh, so they go there and go inside. Uh, by the way, the guy that's playing up on stage like that song he was playing i wish there was like a whole version of that song i don't know why it's not particularly you know amazing i guess from because uh, it's just a guy up there strumming the guitar you know it's it's a grunge style music you know from the early 90s because this you know was done in 1994 but every time i i've watched that scene and heard the music i'm like i, I want the whole song I don't yeah, know. I, I like it. Like it's, I know it's just like an acoustic guitar, but it sounds really good and almost, you know, catchy. Something you would want on your iTunes list. I that's could, just there. I could see this would like have been like a, a even like a minor hit back in you know nineteen ninety four or something. So I don't know. Maybe maybe it, maybe it was over in Europe. Who knows? Maybe they asked an actual song. I don't know. But maybe, um, maybe next time I need to shazam it. <laughs> Figure right. out what song that is. Right. <laughs> Uh, so they, they go in, they, they play pinball on this, this pinball machine. They're drinking beers. They're, they're talking. Uh, Jesse starts asking her about, you know, is she, is she with anybody? Cause they're now at this point in their conversations and in the state of their relationship, I guess, the burgeoning relationship that it's time to start really asking the deep, tough questions like, Hey, by the way, are you with somebody? Am I going to find out that you're engaged to some guy, you know, <laughs> back home or whatever you've been in a, a right. Long... Some big dramatic thing. Yeah. 
And uh, so turns out that uh, Celine isn't. She's she's currently free. Um, but <laughs> she goes on to talk about how you know she was in a really bad uh, relationship before she her, her most recent breakup. The guy was just uh, a real package. <laughs> Drunk, alcoholic, <laughs> bad in bed, uh, all the all the stuff that uh, she kind of lays out there, and uh, clearly she, a good boyfriend. Yeah, and she goes to a therapist, and she apparently wrote some more or less <laughs> fan fiction, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I love this. Where she talks about like, like writing in her journal about how she would kill her boyfriend, and apparently the journal or the therapist took it as a confession as to how she was going to murder. Her boyfriend, it was just, yeah, completely crazy. Complete craziness. I love this because I can just identify with it. Like, this is something that would happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> I can see this happening, and I love that. Like, that's such a great thing, that she basically just told her therapist to, like, like she almost got called by the cops, but told her, like, to F off. <laughs> right. Yep. God. And Jesse's face is, like... <laughs> Almost like, okay, should this be a warning sign? <laughs> should I start to run? <laughs> right, yeah, you can it's see he's like, he's like, am I even talking to a crazy person? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, anyway, so so we get through that, her story, and so it's, she's like, now it's your turn, you know. And so Jesse finally admits to the fact that his trip to Europe wasn't just this whole thing about coming you know, here to read Hemingway and ride the train. Uh, he <laughs> actually came to Europe because he was here to, to meet up with his girlfriend, well, actually ex-girlfriend now. Uh, she'd gone on a, a trip abroad um, and they'd been, you know, apart for some time. Um, he'd saved up all his money all, all spring uh, to fly over here, only to get here and realize that, you know, she's probably with one of the guys currently that she's hanging out yeah. with and um so he, there's nothing yeah. between them anymore right and which really stinks because that, that, that i'm sorry that's well that's crappy regardless but i mean if you know jesse's going to be coming all the way over here you, you could have at least saved him the money you know if you're going to break up yeah. with him you're going to be like jesse don't come over here um I, you know, I, I don't want to date you anymore. I want to break up. I'm currently looking to date somebody here. Or I currently am dating somebody here, whatever. But at least end it. Don't make him spend thousand, couple thousand dollars or whatever it cost, you know, back then to come over here, you know? Yeah, that's definitely a bitch move. Seriously. <laughs> and to, like, not even be able to hide it and just, like, can't even yeah. put up a good face and have some pity lays and then end it. Like, at least make it worth his while. <laughs> Seriously, it's ridiculous. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so that that Hagana comes out, and um, you know we get the rest of the scene here. So how about you? What? Are you with anyone? Um, it's funny how we managed to avoid this subject for so long, isn't it? Yeah, but now you have to tell me. Well, I kind of see love as this uh, escape for two people who don't know how to be alone, you know? Or, uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny. People always talk about how uh, love is this totally unselfish, giving thing. But if you think about it, you know, there's nothing more selfish. Um, I know. So, who just woke up with you? What? 
sound like you just referred to something. Uh, do I? Yeah. All right. Um, big confession. You know, I, I should have told you this earlier or something, but you know, I didn't come to Europe just to hang out and read Hemingway in Paris and shit like that. You know, I saved up my money all spring to uh, fly to Madrid and hmm. spend the summer with my girlfriend, who has been on this. Your girlfriend? My ex. Girlfriend who has been in this asinine art history program for the last year. Anyway, I got here, right? And we were reunited at long last, and we went out to dinner our first night uh, with six of her friends right? Pedro, Antonio, Gonzalo, Maria, Susie from home, you know? She pretty much managed to avoid being alone with me for the first couple days we were there, and I stuck around for a while just to kind of let it really sink in that she wished I hadn't come. So I bought the cheapest flight out of Europe. This one leaving out of Vienna tomorrow, but it didn't leave for a couple weeks, so I bought this URL pass, you know? You know, you know what's the worst thing about somebody breaking up with you? Yeah. Is when you remember how little you thought about the people you broke up with, mm -hmm. and you realize that that is how little they're thinking about you, you know? <laughs> You'd like to think that you're both in all this pain, but really, you know, they're just, hey, I'm glad you're gone. I know. Okay, so I, I really, <laughs> listening to this scene, watching this scene, there is something, there's a line here that I love as much as I love anything in this movie. All right, so when Jesse's sitting there and he's got a slam in the pinball machine and he says this line, <laughs> when he says, uh, do you know, was it, how was it? Like, do you know, you know how, how uh, little people think of you when they broke up with, break up with you, right? But how, like, you think how little of people that you broke up with, you know? Like, like you're immediately more focused on your new fling. Right. And he says, like, you know, you, you'd like to think that you're both in all this pain when, in fact, it's like, hey, I'm glad you're gone. And I, I've loved that line because there's such a, a truthfulness uh, and, a, and a bitter honesty to that. Because it is true. It's, you know, when you break it's up so with somebody, true. it's not like you're like sitting there mourning the relationship necessarily. You're just like, okay, finally, they're out of my life. Now I can move on to Johnny over here or Sarah <laughs> or whatever, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. like it, that, that person is firmly in the rear view. They're totally out of your mind. You don't care about them anymore. And yet, meanwhile, that other person that you just broke up with is like laying around on the couch, you know, in complete agony. Uh, it's one person listening an to like <laughs> sad rock, <laughs> yeah. drinking beers. Right. Yeah. So uh, I love that scene. So what did you think of this scene when uh, when you watched it? Oh yeah, like, and it adds a little of effect to them when they're kind of having like it's something you get really passionate talking about, like your exes, and might bring up a little anger. And you can just see it when they're kind of railing into the pinball machine. And I just love that they're at a pinball machine since you can be like this little bit of aggression without actually being aggressive. And it, I think that's wonderful. Uh, and yeah, talking about their exes is pretty amazing. <laughs> I felt so bad for Jesse when I heard about that, but it's like, you know what? If his ex-girlfriend wasn't a bitch, he wouldn't have met Celine. <laughs> so it's kind of all serendipitous and meant to be. Right. Yep. Uh, so anyway, they leave here. Um, they they eat uh, at... Uh, well, actually, they go to a church. Actually, the first thing. They're sitting in this church and they're talking. Jesse talks about the, the Quakers 
uh, which are here, like right. Pennsylvania. There's there there are Quakers uh, up in the the northeast uh, Pennsylvania. Um, yeah, he said Quakers, and I thought of the oatmeal. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what that was. Okay, well, yeah, it's understandable. It's totally understandable. <laughs> um, so and then he talks about like basically what a, what an asshole one of his friends is, um, <laughs> which the stories he tells. Oh yeah, that's horrible. Yeah, it's horrible. The story like tells was like. Like, when they drive up, and there's a homeless guy, and he's like, hey, do you believe in God? And he's like, yes. Yes, I do. Because he thinks that's yeah. what the person Be- wants to hear. Because, like, he's holding out money. Like, if he answers the correct question, he's going to hand him, like, I don't know, was it, I can't, was it like, a hundred dollars? hundred bucks. Yeah. And he's like, nope, sorry. And just, like, slams on the gas, and they drive away. We're like, wrong answer, you know? Yeah, it's like something the devil would do, you know? <laughs> yep. Like, to test somebody and see if they're going to lie to you to get what they want. Mm-hmm. And if they lie, then you're not going to give them what they want. Yep. Like, I love that. Like, it's a horrible thing, but I kind of love it. Yeah. It, Just the idea of, like, this person's, like, that much of a dick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it certainly is. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, they leave there. They go to uh, the boat, I think, right? The or Yeah. No, the other restaurant. No, there's another oh, restaurant. Oh, the, um, it's kind of, yeah, it's just like a regular old restaurant. That's right. Kind of sit down. Right. So they, they talk, um, and this is kind of when they, they begin, I think this is when they begin to kind of lay out the fact that this might be it. Like this, Jesse's initially like, you think this is it? Like there's a more in it, and Celine's kind of more the pragmatist here. She's... Like, hey, look, this this probably is it, you know, and, and so Jesse says, all right, fine. You know, if that's if that's the way it's going to be, then you know what? We're, it's going to be amazing. We're going to make the rest of the night as amazing as possible. And so that's wonderful. So uh, we move on to the scene with them. Uh, they're in, uh, I guess, another restaurant area and they're sitting at a table. We see some shots of different people, you know, around them. Uh, a couple of looks like they're probably from like New York city, uh, which is like tr- tr- stereotypical New York city people, which are basically jerks more or less, uh, some German people and, uh, some Hasidic, I think uh, probably Hasidic Jews, I believe. Um, yeah. and so we go, we finally land on Jesse and Celine. They're sitting in a booth and, uh, I have audio for most of this. Um, actually, I split it up into two parts just so that I could break it up a little bit. Uh, but more or less what happened, this is probably, this might be the most iconic moment in this entire movie. So they're sitting there and they decide to play a little bit of a game, more or less. Uh, so it's, it's a way for them to be able to talk to each other and say very bold truths about how they're feeling without having to do it in such a way Be vulnerable. Yes. They, they, they do it through a prism of, Hey, let's uh, act like we're calling people that we know. Like I'm going to, yeah. So it's, it's, it works. It totally works. I understand why they did it. And uh, I could see, I could have seen myself doing this actually. Um, Yeah. It's very smart. So anyway, um, so the first part actually is going to be Celine. Celine's going to be calling one of her friends. uh, And here it is. Now I'm going to call my best friend in Paris, who I'm supposed to have lunch with in eight hours. Okay? Okay. Dring, 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 
Pick up. <rire> Pick up the phone. Uh, oh, hello. Allô mm? Vanille, c'est Céline. Ah. Comment ça va Ça va bien. Et toi <rire> Il m'est arrivé quelque chose d'incroyable. Uh, I've been working on my English recently. Will you want to talk in English just for laughs Yeah, okay. That's a good idea. Um, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it for lunch today. I'm sorry. I I met a guy on the train and I got off with him in Vienna. We're still there. Are you crazy? Probably. He's Austrian? He's from there? No, 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 no. He's passing through here too. He's American. He's going back home tomorrow morning. Why'd you get off the train with him? Well, he convinced me. I mean, actually, I was, <laughs> I was ready to get off the train with him after talking to him a short while. He was so sweet, I couldn't help it. We were in the launch car, and he began to talk about him as a little boy seeing his great-grandmother's ghost. I think that's when I fell for him. Just the idea of this little boy with all those beautiful dreams. He trapped me. Mm-hmm. And he's so cute. He has beautiful blue eyes, nice pink lips, greasy hair. <laughs> I love it. He's kind of tall and he's a little clumsy. I like to feel his eyes on me when I look away. He kind of kisses like an adolescent. It's so cute. What? Yeah, we kissed. It was so adorable. As the night went on, I began to like him more and more. But I'm afraid he's scared of me. You know, I told him the story about the woman that kills her ex-boyfriend and stuff. He must be scared to death. He must be thinking I'm this manipulative, mean woman. I just hope he doesn't feel that way about me. Because you know me, I'm the most harmless person. The only person I could really hurt is myself. I don't think he's scared of you. I think he's crazy about you. Really? I mean, I've known you a long time, and I got a good feeling. You gonna see him again? We haven't talked about that yet. All right, so obviously, you know, Jesse has to play the role of her friend and uh, participate in the conversation, which is really, really great here because he can... He can say things and nudge things in a certain way uh, to get her to, to say, you know, what he, well, not what he wants to hear, but, but be truthful and honest. Anyway, Sarah, what did you think of this scene? Yeah, yeah, totally that he's you know, definitely saying things that um, nudge her to say what he wants to know. Uh, he wants to know the truth about what she's thinking, and it's a brilliant way to come about it. Uh, and it's also funny at the same time, uh, her conversation, her interpretation of what an American friend would sound like is hilarious. Her trying to talk with an American accent is funny. Uh, yeah, I think it's incredible that they can, they have these conversations about just, you know, being very truthful about, you know, what she thinks when from the first moment they met, she's being very truthful that what she thought of him and that they have these like, feelings and think this might be it yeah I, well you know in this conversation you know he he talks about you know he's a bit a bit awkward you know about how he's a bit tall and awkward and he kisses like an adolescent which he was like what you know i thought it was hilarious um 
you know, she... <laughs> I expected him to, like, kick her under the right. table or something. Right, yeah, it was great. Um, and, you know, she says, you know, he these beautiful blue eyes and this kind of prissy hair, which she, she really likes. Um, and, you know, he's like, okay, you know, are you gonna, you gonna, gonna see each other again? And, you know, she's like, I you know, talked about it. And so, you know, it's one of those things, um, which I guess actually would put this before the scene we just talked about, actually, technically, because uh, they eventually do talk about it for real. But anyway, the point is, it's a wonderful uh, call on her part. Uh, so now we're going to flip to the other side because Jesse, of course, has to call his friend. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, here it is. And it's, it's, I love this. Anyway, here we go. Ring, ring, ring. Uh, I usually get this guy's answering machine. Ring. Hi, dude. What's up? Uh, <laughs> hey, Frank, how you been? I'm glad you're home. Cool, yeah. So how was Madrid? Uh, Madrid sucked. Uh, you know, Lisa and I had our long overdue meltdown. Oh, too bad. I told you, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The long distance thing just never works. I was only in Madrid for a couple days. I got a cheaper flight out of Vienna. But, uh, you know, it really wasn't that much cheaper. I just, uh... I couldn't go home right away. I didn't want to see anybody I knew. I just wanted to be a ghost, completely anonymous. So are you okay now? Yeah. Yeah, no, no, yeah, I'm great. I'm great. That's the thing. I'm, I'm rapturous. And I'll tell you why. I met somebody on my last night in Europe. Can you believe that? That's uh, incredible. I know. I know. And you know how they say we're all each other's demons and angels? Well, she was literally a Botticelli angel, just telling me that everything was going to be okay. How did you meet? On the train. Mm. Yeah, she was sitting next to this very weird couple that started fighting, so she had to move. She sat right across the aisle from me. So we started to talk, and uh, she didn't like me much at first. You know, she's super smart, very passionate. Um, and beautiful. And I was so unsure of myself. I thought everything I said sounded so stupid. Oh, man. I wouldn't worry about that. No. No, I'm sure she was not judging you. No, and by the way, she sat next to you, no? I'm sure she did it in purpose. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Us men are so stupid. We don't understand anything about women. Mm-mm. They act kind of strange, the little I know of them. Don't they? Yeah. Yeah, so, okay, first off, uh, talking about the scene as a whole, um, this might be, uh, and this is truly saying something, this particular scene in the warm light that they use to kind of light the scene, um, is it... I don't know that I, I, there's any point in the movie where Julie Delpy looks more radiantly beautiful, right? Than in this, right. in this like five minute or so scene together. And that's saying something because she's, you know. Like her hair just like halos her face and gives it a shine that it makes her eyes just like so blue, like. I'd fall for her. It, <laughs> like she's gorgeous. Well, it's it's everything, you know, because like she has like these almost like heavy lidded eyes, 
in a way. Mm-hmm. And yes. like her face is just yeah. Anyway, so and she's got delicate mannerisms that are just they're fascinating to watch. Everything about her is just kind of it draws you in. Right. And and so he calls her, you know, this this Botticelli angel which we referenced earlier in this episode. And yes. you can see the look on her face, you know, like she's she loves hearing what he's saying. But she's also slightly embarrassed by it. You know, as people do when like someone really compliments you, like and fully it. transparently they mean it and it's yes. like something like it's almost embarrassing because of how good it feels that they're saying that to you like you can't believe that because they... you know you're probably like blushing so deeply at that moment right and so he you know he says you know she's you know just so intelligent and so passionate and just beautiful and you know, she was like a like a Botticelli, Botticelli angel telling me everything was going to be okay. And the look on her face when he's telling her all this is just to look down at the table because, she, like you said, she's, she's blushing. And, um, you know, it's uh, such a an intensely romantic scene. Like, this is like the culmination to a degree of everything that has come before. Because at this point, they're actually making those leaps Right, they're they're actually risking themselves now, really risking themselves by being this transparent about how they feel, what their motivations are, um, all of it. And, and so I really love this scene for what it is. It's through a prism of, hey, I'm gonna make a phone call. You're gonna pretend to be my friend, and we're gonna talk. Uh, as a way of the two of them sharing these deeper truths about how they're feeling about the other person and I really find it to be just exquisite exquisitely done so amazing yeah there's also a line that um he I think he remarks on or she does uh he he does anyways um it's when she does uh she remarks that she loves the way that she can still feel his eyes when she looks away Mm -hmm. And I love that because that's something I noticed the whole way through the movie is that his eyes always linger after her eyes look away or they finish the conversation. They always linger. And I like that they even talked about that in that moment. And I'm like, it's, it's great that they're referencing something that the viewer is watching like, and wouldn't normally pick up. So I thought that was great. Yeah, I totally agree. Definitely. For sure. Um, so... They uh, make their way to like a like a bar. Jesse and Celine they they want they basically want wine, but they don't have any money. <laughs> uh, they've spent what little money they had throughout the day. They don't have none, and so Jesse convinces a bartender while Celine steals wine glasses. By the way, um, he convinces a, uh, a bartender to give him a bottle of wine. Now I don't know how much this wine cost. It's probably one of the lower end brands that they currently have there guys i could give him like a 300 dollars bottle of wine but you know he gives him this bottle of wine with nothing more than a handshake and jesse's promised to send him the money um so they then share this wine out in like a park somewhere it's dark this is you know i don't know what time it is it's probably after midnight at this point um and so they they talk a little bit but it's apparent 
that Jesse kind of wants this to go into a certain direction and Celine <laughs> wants to too, but then she's like, I want to, but now I don't. And I think I wanted to sleep with you when I can't remember when she says when we got off the train or something. I can't remember the exact moment, yes. but, but like, yeah. or even when she sat down next to him, I think it was. Yeah. And he's just like, you're killing me. <laughs> you're totally <laughs> killing me. Um, and she says, you know, I, I don't think you understand how much I need a, needed a night like this right now in my life. And okay. um, which to which he agrees. Um, and so we kind of jump to the next day, right? Um, did they sleep yeah. together? Did they not sleep together? We don't know. So we jump forward to the next morning or to the morning, I guess, is actually more accurate. Um, they are um, laying on the steps, I think, in front of a statue. Uh, Jesse recites a poem. Uh, essentially, it's about, it's, I believe if I'm not mistaken, it's more or less about time catching up um, on them. That you can't stop time. Time is forever marching on. And uh, which is where they're at. You know, they only ever had a limited amount of time together. And so now um, they're out of that magical moment in their life. That it's firmly the next morning. Uh, they get up, they're walking, and there's this beautiful, beautiful scene here. They're just walking together. Um, there's a harpsichord being played, and I love this song it's playing. I love this whole scene. And Jesse kind of turns Celine and just looks at her and is like, wow. You know, like just whatever, however she's standing, however she's looking, whatever, like, her hair is, she's like braided her hair a little bit. Um, and he just like wants to capture her in that moment. Like this is the image he wants to remember forever. If there's one image yeah. the hill we're on retain, it's this one right here. So he kind of actually does so that. They, yeah, they both take these like mental pictures of each other in this moment, in this light where the harpsichord's playing behind them. Mm -hmm. And just want to remember that moment and remember the way they looked in that moment. Right. So, um, and that's it. We jump to the, to the train, right? Um, Jesse has to, has to catch it. It's time to, time to get on there. Um, and at first they're, you know, they're like, you know, I hope you have a good life. I hope, you know, you, you achieve everything that you want and all that, all that stuff. And eventually they kind of break down and, you know, admit that, they, they, they want to see each other and, and she's <laughs> Jesse's like, you know, why didn't you tell me? And she's like, oh, but I was afraid you didn't want to. And, and it's like, okay, okay, you know, what they say is they don't want to, you know, uh, exchange phone numbers and all distance. that stuff and do like have like the whole thing peter out. And I want to stop this for a second before we keep going because I want to reference something. I want to go back to the beginning of the movie, not the beginning, beginning. But very shortly into the movie, all right? So it's when Celine is having his conversation with Jesse on that trolley. And she's talking about how Jean-Marc Fleury really liked her. And so Celine went over to him and said, hey, my friend really likes you. And Jean-Marc Fleury said, oh, that's too bad. I really like you. And so Celine and Jean-Marc Fleury were kind of together or whatever at camp and they decided to write to each other 
call each other, all that stuff. And they did for a little bit, and then it eventually kind of petered out, and that's it. You know, it just it just died. Disintegrated. I, Which is what it. happened with uh, the director and Amy, is that they kept in contact mm-hmm. for a short while, but eventually just lost contact because you know, life happens. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way it is with long distance most of the time. And yeah, I like that that keeps being referenced. What I like about that is that that explicit moment that happened to Celine when she was young and that she referenced earlier in the movie is the driving force behind them not exchanging any contact information here. Because she doesn't want that same thing to happen again. Yeah. And that, I'm like, to this Every time I watch it, even when I was back at 16, I was just like, give an address or something, a backup plan, guys. Like, don't just depend on one day. What if the train breaks down? <laughs> like, what if you can't get a flight or you're stuck somewhere? It's totally serendipity. You're leaving it up to fate and serendipity to let you go back together. Right. So <laughs> like, It's so heavy. So um, once they realize that they want to, teach other again that they want this to continue in some fashion they decide to meet up in six months of course at that point it'll be i can't remember it's like december december 17th 14th or 14th, something like that something like yeah. that um and that they will you know meet here and even though it's gonna be cold they'll just go somewhere else if they if they want to um at this yeah. this time at the train station all that stuff um so they embrace they kiss and uh, Jesse jumps on the train and we see both of them kind of settling in. Um, Jesse's on the bus, or then on the bus. Celine's on the train as well. Celine's on the train. Celine's yeah. on the train. You're right. Celine's on the train and Jesse's on the bus and they're both tired. <laughs> uh, Celine starts to fall asleep. Jesse's kind of just staring. Match it probably just picturing Celine a whole bunch. Uh, a lot of the things they did, like the night that they had, everything they shared together, running things through his mind, and then the movie fades to black. And watching them separate, does your heart not like feel the heaviness that's there? Like when you watch it, it's just like you don't want them to separate, and you feel like it's just it's, it's scary. Like you feeling what they're feeling that you know. What if something happens and we're apart and that's it? It's like there's heaviness there, you know? Yeah, there is. There is heaviness. Um, and I want to talk about the qualities of this movie. You know, we've run through uh, the movie pretty much, in, for the most part, in chronological order. I'm sure I, I mixed a scene up here and there. but uh, <laughs> but um, They go to a lot of cafes. <laughs> right. They went, they, went, they went to a lot of places. Um <laughs> So I do want to talk about the acting and the qualities of this movie and everything, but uh, the reason the scene works at the end is because you have shared so much with them. You've shared their thoughts, their their opinions on so many subject subjects, um, their dreams, the things that make them angry, um, the things that make them happy, all of that, and it, it it's a character study, more or less, is what this movie is a character character study with with a two people um and so when you get to the end it's all dependent on the chemistry between the actors and the cumulative effect of everything that you have already witnessed in the last shots 
in this movie, if I remember correctly, are all the places that they went to. Yes, in, in this in the morning in the daylight. Morning daylight. So the the yeah, bench which is brilliant. Yeah, the bench that they sat and talked, the the cafe where the the palm reader was at, you know, all those places that they had been to, at least the the most important locations, we see this you know, this wonderful effect of it's now in the morning light. They're not there. But at one point, this couple, these two people were there. And for a moment, that setting, that place had a had an effect on their lives and their relationship with each other. And it was uh, magic. It's a magical. And, you know, I, I said in the, the synopsis that Vienna is the third character in this movie. It really is. Yes. Because this movie, yeah. if they had set this in Texas or something or whatever, like it wouldn't have had the same effect. You needed an exotic location like this to kind of be like that person behind them, kind of egging them on, pushing them forward. And so the magic of Vienna from just the, the locations, the old style architecture, the European just flavor that it brings to this movie um the poet (laughs) on the on the the (laughs) riverside poet um yeah there's something about two people that are in a foreign country that you get the same feeling when you travel yourself that you're a little more open-minded than you would be in your um day-to-day settings and everything's different and exciting well you're willing to take more chances it, there's that's just something true, yes. about being out there and uh, abroad, and that's partially why they kind of open up to each other in a way they wouldn't normally do, because it's like, okay, I'm here, I'm meeting this person, I'll probably never see them again, why not just talk about everything, you know, who cares, you know? So it's that's not maybe the exact thought that goes through your head, but subconsciously I think that is kind of what pushes you to to reveal more than you normally would. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's cool that um the train where they part, the track is track nine. And uh, that the next part of their life takes place after nine years. I thought that was interesting that nine just kind of pops up a bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, totally I thought agree. that was cool. Uh, so let's talk about this, this movie in terms of, you know, the qualities that it possesses. Um, the acting, the the writing, the directing, all of that. Uh, we've we've made general statements, uh, but beyond that, we haven't really delved into much. Uh, one of the things that makes this movie and, and the other two movies that have come after it is um, one of the great things about it is the kind of old documentary feel to it. This it feels like you're a fly on the wall. Um, yes. There. Yeah, it's a great way to put there it. There is. Um, the, the direction between, from Linklater, from, for somebody that watches this, they might think that there isn't much to it. Uh, but actually, it's restraint that he shows. There's no flashy angles, no panning of the camera, nothing that, you know, maybe some other directors would try to be all super creative with their camera movement and, and do some exotic shots. Uh, that's not necessary here. That's the point. The point is to have the camera follow the actors behind them or have them coming towards the camera while the camera is kind of staying pace and backing up and you're just keeping them in, in frame, just letting them talk and the scene play out. Static shots, 
that kind of show maybe uh, them sitting there over dinner with the river behind them and some beautiful scenery that kind of, uh, you know, elevates the conversation they're currently having to a different level. I mean, it's to enhance what you're watching on screen with just these two characters because they have to carry the heavy load here. And so you, all you have to do is not screw it up, more or less. Um, <laughs> Don't make them talk all that over again in that scene. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, it, it's really, really well done. The restraint is fantastic. Uh, but I think that it should be said, yes, Vienna is such an important character in this movie. Yeah, it's very true. Hmm. Uh, yeah, and the way it's shot, definitely incredible. It's like usually the actors are acting for the camera but in this it's like the camera just gets to capture something special like it's almost it's totally fly on the wall like i think that's the perfect analogy it's that they're not acting for the camera it's like we just get to experience what's happening yeah i love it yeah one of the great things about this movie too is ah no cell phones no smartphones. Yes, back in ancient times. <laughs> right, go back to, yeah, yeah. For, there's a lot of people that, if you're listening to this and you're of a certain age, which say, um, maybe if you're under the age of 25 or something, uh, 25, 27, if you're under, like, definitely if you're under 25, it might be hard for you to remember a time where smartphones didn't exist, you know? Uh, they weren't a major part of your life in some way or just just cell phones you know cell phones yeah, really technology. didn't yeah technology cell phones really didn't get you know start to really get big and gain like real traction until the the mid 2000s you know yeah so it's it's this is a good five to ten years beforehand right yeah this was 1994 right so it's about 10 years prior so yeah i mean there's no technology. There's no Facebook, right? They're not gonna, not gonna chat. I mean, they even reference a word processor, which, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's nineteen ninety four, right? It's it's a different, like a different time, a different era. Um, so it's yeah. not like, you know, it's not like it was so easy to just stay in contact with each other, you know. I mean, yes, you could give your, yeah, exactly. your phone number, but it was still a time when it was either a phone call or a letter. Exactly. You know? Like, isn't that crazy? to think about in our day and age like there was a time when we were alive that it was just you know you reach somebody by either the phone or by the mail <laughs> there's no like real way to track somebody down through all different kinds of social medias or tracking devices that we have now like that's one thing like I can do on our phone is that like I can see where you know my husband or my friends are because of their phones like you can just see what they're hanging out in it's crazy <laughs> you can do that nowadays like back then no way <laughs> you had to pick up the phone right oh definitely and I, and I love that um it's it's kind of refreshing it's nice it's like kind of like when you watch uh, stranger things you know um i was just thinking that actually comparison <laughs> yeah so you know go back to stranger things that's even further back and that's like a further 10 years prior like 1980 uh 83 i believe so you know back then again like computers home computers barely even existed at all back then and again it was the same thing you know if you you know like when i was when i was a kid like a real like a little kid 
or even until like my early teen years, it's like I had a choice. I could call somebody or I could go see if they're at home, right? If I go to their house, nobody's there. I guess I'll check in later. It's not like, I could, oh, my yeah. buddy uh, John isn't home. I better call his cell phone and see where he's at. Like you didn't do that. And back in 1983, it was you, you, you asked around you try to track them down if you really needed to find somebody like it was just a different yeah. era it didn't have that i mean you could call it a benefit you could call it a detriment and both would be applicable when it comes to you know technology and cell phones it's great that you can call somebody but then it kind of stinks you know it's almost like sometimes yeah. you actually wish you could go back in time yeah it eliminates the possibility for adventure when yeah. you can just instantly message somebody I totally agree. Yeah. And imagine if it was like a Facebook era. It could just be like, yeah, I'll find you on Facebook. No problem. Mm -hmm. There's no weight to that moment. Like when they have to separate, you know, there would be no weight at all. And it would just, it wouldn't happen in, if this was being made today. Yeah. They would just, they would just video chat. Yeah. They would use webcams, you know, they, whatever. It, exactly. It's, it's just different. So yeah, it, it's um, a different era, and I really like that. It's kind of refreshing. You know, it, it takes me back to a time I can remember when I was a little kid. You know, like nineteen ninety four, I was about twelve years old. You know, and and it's able to make it timeless too because you're not date stamped by what kind of phones they have. You know, <laughs> right? I mean, it is dated to a certain extent, a little bit, just because of the lack of that stuff. And you know, when you when you drop. You drop word processor, but yeah. <laughs> beyond that, for the most part, it really isn't a whole lot, you know, to date it. If you take those out, if you take that out, it could be from two thousand or nineteen ninety two. It could be nineteen ninety eight. You know, you're probably gonna hate me, but what specifically is a word processor? Was that like? Oh, uh, it, it's it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so a word processor is kind of like before most people had uh, home computers. They had word processors, it's like a, like a, almost think of like a typewriter in a way. <laughs> oh, that's ancient times. <laughs> oh, that's before my time. Like I, I understood it was probably like a big machine. I just figured like a Xerox kind of type of thing, but old-fashioned, probably communal computer type of thing. Well, yeah. So a word process. Yeah, it's it's um. It's an electric device, actually. You know, it's it's all it is. It, it could be a software application, <laughs> but it basically performs all of the same tasks. You know, composing, editing, you could format, printing documents, all that stuff. That's that's a word processor. So, yep. Yep. Ancient. Yep, that's something. You know, it was, it was a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Oh, um, so, okay. Yeah. So looking at this movie, you know, it, the directing is not flashy, uh, but it's it's exceptionally well done and well composed. It's a low budget movie, so um, it's not there. You can tell it's low budget to a certain extent. You know, it's not the kind of high glossy um, look that you'll get in a movie that had a. You know, twenty thirty million dollar budget or, or more, um, but given the low budget that they had, it's still exceptionally beautiful. It's 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 very well shot. Um, there's some wonderful shots of you know 
different buildings and architecture in the countryside and all of that. Uh, but there is some graininess, even in HD, there is some graininess to, to the, the footage. But um, that being said, it's still wonderful and it looks amazing considering that it was shot, you know, what is it, 22 years ago, 23 years ago, actually. Yeah. So, Damn. yeah. Um, you know, in terms of the script, it's, it's outstanding. The script is really, truly amazing. And timeless. You know, when you take out the plot elements that you get in so many ridiculous romantic comedies, uh, which, you know, <laughs> there are some good ones. There really are. Um, not, you know, every year you'll get a handful of, of good romantic comedies, maybe two or three. Um, something that actually has some thought behind it. Uh, there's nothing wrong yeah. with plot, but it's just that most of the time you can see the whole plot. You can, I can tell you, most romantic comedies or most romances, even, I can tell you probably what's going to happen, at least generally, throughout the entire movie after about 15 minutes. You know, yeah. it, it, girl meets guy, thinks everything's good, then turns out guy has girlfriend or crazy sister and there's complications and you fight for your love and end up together by the end of it and everything's okay and happy ending. Well, I, I can even <laughs> go simpler. Uh, boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back in the end. Rinse, repeat, rinse, <laughs> repeat, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, switch gen- switch yep. gender roles, same thing. Doesn't matter. So, um, and that again, that can still work if the script, if everything else is amazing. If the dialogue is amazing and the actors are amazing and you find some way to add a, add a little more onto that really basic plot, it can still be really good. Um, if you have really wonderful and potent themes in there too, it can, it can make it a pretty good movie. But most of the time, that doesn't exist. It just makes it look even worse in retrospect. So with a movie like this, you're cutting out all of that stupid plot stuff. It's not about the plot. It's not about, you know, Jesse doesn't have to find out that Celine has been lying to him, that she's got a secret lover here in Vienna that she's coming to visit. And then he gets really pissed and then he runs off and then Celine has to track him down and says, but I really love you and we have this connection and all that garbage. That's That would be a garbage movie. <laughs> All right. Yeah. This here is there's a purpose. There's a reason why we don't have this major plot that we have to follow, because it's really just about two people meeting, connecting, falling in love, and it's substantial. You know, one of my biggest complaints about most romances and most romantic comedies, whatever. One of my biggest complaints is most of the time it's about 45 minutes or so half an hour 45 minutes into the movie before the two characters that meet actually talk about anything (laughs) and if we're lucky we get a montage of them going on dates and doing this and doing that and that's supposed to be a stand-in for all of their building and budding relationship but all we see is 30 to 45 seconds of them going on a bunch of dates and doing a bunch of things and then the plot you know, gets in the way again, and we got to break them up, or we got to put an obstacle in their in their path, whatever it might be. Um, and if it's if it's if it's clunky and it's not well done, it it looks terrible and it sounds terrible. Um, but we don't have that here, right? So what we have is just this connection. And you know, back to the things I don't like about romance and romantic comedies is that we don't feel in most of them, most of them, like the two people have any kind of connection because we haven't borne witness to the building of this romance. We have no reason to care 
Like, even if they're likable actors and likable characters, they don't get you so far. And if you don't have enough scenes in a movie to kind of say, oh, I have a real reason to care and root for these people, it doesn't work. In this movie, it's all about that. It's all about the dates and the conversations and, you know, the, the in-depth um, reveal uh, of all of the fears that each one of them have, all of that stuff, all of those intimate conversations that in real life you have with somebody that you like, we get in this exactly. movie. We don't get those in other movies. We're just supposed to, like, I guess, make believe in our head that they've happened and fill in the gaps. <laughs> These are the gaps. Yeah, you get the fluff <laughs> with none of the depth. Yeah. There's, this is this is all the depth the other movies lack generally, so yeah. That people take the actions. These two people have taken the time to really go through what would be said, the conversations that would transpire, and put them to paper, and put them to acting, and it makes for something really special and incredible. Yeah, um, I have no problem. Uh, this was. Um... You know, on a list of maybe the great greatest romances of all of all time, um, this is pretty High pretty near the top. There, it it yeah, it's there aren't many movies that exceed this, in my opinion. Um, I also like that this movie is about intelligent people, right? These are two smart people. Um, they're educated. They have. You know, look, some of the dialogue stuff you would say in college, sure, fine. That's, you know, guess what? They're also... They're early 20s. Yeah, they're in their early 20s. They just, they're either in or they just graduated from college. So, you know, this is, these are the kind of conversations you have. Some of them, some of them, yes, are a bit whatever, you know, stuff you would talk about as a freshman in a dorm room. But, a lot, you know, a lot of the other stuff they talk about is, you know, intelligent, you know, they, they, you know, kind of deep and they just enjoy, you know, talking and hearing the other person, you know, respond. And so I, I appreciate the intelligence because there's precious little of that. And it seems like there's even less of, uh, of that intelligence each year that goes by in cinema sometimes, you know. Yeah, it's so true that they just jam whatever they want to into it with absolutely having no real meat to it it's just fluff and just fat and nothing that's worth retaining and that's unfortunately what we get a lot of in movies these days well it's, it's kind of like a oreo cookie you know um it looks pretty <laughs> it also tastes really good uh but then you realize there wasn't much substance to that cookie at least nutritional substance um you know this this here is um I don't know. I'm trying to think of another metaphor, but Analogy. but essentially, uh, yeah, it's 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 like the opposite, I guess. Um, like yeah. a really tasty smoothie, but you've also thrown on thrown in a bunch of kale and good, you know, hearty <laughs> nutritional stuff, and it tastes amazing. Bananas, strawberries, kale, all that stuff, blueberries, uh, healthy, good for you, and you know. A lot of substance and nutritional value. This is a this is a beautiful, delicious smoothie. Uh, For your mind. <laughs> yes, this other one is uh, some Oreo cookies. Uh, yes, I love Oreos, so I'm not railing against Oreos too much. But it's like the Oreo cookie <laughs> looks good, tastes good, but you're not going to be thankful if you eat that whole, you know, thing of Oreos. <laughs> 
You're not going to be happy when the box is empty and yes. <laughs> you're five pounds heavier the next morning. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So. Yeah. All right. So, Sarah, um, is there anything else we want to talk about? Anything you want to add about this movie? Any opinions? Anything you want to zero in on? Oh, uh, how, how pretty is Julie Delpy? There we go. <laughs> Uh, prettier than ethan hawk and that's saying something (laughs) because he's a pretty boy yeah yeah he's yeah he's definitely got the good looks and the the goatee and you know the 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 hair hair parting Mm -hmm. and yeah yeah Yeah. very you know again very 90s there was there was a definitely grunge element uh this is 19 the converse Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) and notice those right away yeah but uh yeah um, yeah, Julie Delpy definitely um, you can see why you know Jesse you know <laughs> tried to have a conversation right away on the train with her <laughs> so yeah no kidding um, and there's definitely the physical attraction immediately there mm-hmm. alright so is there anything else you want to talk about about this movie no but I do feel like that we need to go to before sunset really soon <laughs> Yeah, I have like the urge to continue on with this story so badly. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're definitely going to be doing you know the rest of the series here um, sooner rather than later. So um, I, I maybe next week um, if 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 because yeah, I know these r- aren't rakes kind of movies, right? So. <laughs> uh, you know, well, fine. Let's let's do it right now. Uh, you know, we'll be doing uh, we'll be doing both before sunset uh, next week. So we'll be continuing this journey. Um, Going on to the next one, which picks up in uh, 2003. Yes. I think so. Yes, 2003. Yeah, nine years. Yeah. So nine years. Uh, Which the movie came out in 2004. So, yeah. Um, All right. So, uh, Sarah, final thoughts and your grade for Before Sunrise. Final thoughts. Man, this movie is a complete trip. I mean, there's not a lot of plot as we've talked about. It's just literally going to be a fly on the wall of these two people and the very intelligent, uh, very um, articulate conversations they have about life experiences, their vulnerabilities, strengths, you know, what they're scared of, life, death. I mean, everything that you would talk about with somebody you are interested in and have these conversations with it's in this movie and it's incredible it's so well scripted and written Uh, there's no bad to this other than that scene we did discuss on the bridge with the the play that has no real purpose being there it's a pretty perfect movie uh very very little to complain about uh the actors are amazing. The fact that they wrote most of this just speaks to a whole other level of that we get to watch these two even progress uh, together through each movie. It's kind of incredible. Uh, it gives a whole new respect to these actors, like huge, major respect. Um, and the directing, fabulous. And I love that this story came from a true, a place of truth, that this actually happened or something similar happened and inspired the story love that um yeah the camera's great it doesn't intrude very much it just gets to be there and experience like we do um the setting is incredible vienna's gorgeous 
there's just so much good to say about this movie. And I highly recommend everyone listening. If you haven't watched it already, you got to. It's phenomenal. Um, it, so yeah, without a single doubt in my mind, it is an A-plus movie. I, uh, yeah, I didn't doubt that. <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, I, I watched this movie, you know, what, like 15, 15 years ago. Uh, I was enthralled as a as a young, very young person, um, just barely into college. Um, I I was enthralled by the performances. I was enthralled by the the dialogue. Um, I had a massive, massive crush on Julie Telpe. I don't mind saying, because um, <laughs> I, I I essentially Who I, yeah I I essentially viewed her in the same way that jesse Buter. so um it's like why can't you be no one blames you why can't you be real and walk through you know tv anyway right so um anyway it, it was a great movie back then and it's a great movie today and when you can say that when you can actually watch a movie and say you know what i love this as much as i loved it when i first watched it if not more so um that's that's the qualities of a truly exceptional movie that's the qualities of a classic okay classic movies are classic for a reason they're essentially movies that stand the test of time that you can watch in 20 years or 30 years and still love if not love more and classics are like wine they just get progressively better as you age (laughs) and as time goes on right so uh yeah and this movie has uh done just that it's a, a wonderful movie. The, the performances from both Delpy and Hawk are truly amazing. Like you said, the camera doesn't intrude. It simply observes the goings-on uh, between these two characters. Uh, the conversations are wonderful to listen to. And that's a testament because if the conversations weren't interesting, if the actors weren't good, if they didn't make the the performances didn't appear to be so naturalistic, which I don't think we even addressed really, you know, the performances are they don't they don't act as though they're performing. All right. They 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 like I said, it looks like a documentary, like we're just like a fly on the wall watching things actually happening in real life. Um it's 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 stunning and they continue to do this in the next two installments as well you don't even feel like they're acting and that's the hardest acting to do so all of those qualities the wonderful dialogue the the intense conversations the feeling the emotion the beauty of vienna uh how everything plays out the ending which you don't know what's going to happen you know, what happens? Do they meet up in six months? We'll find out. So, yeah, all of that together, it creates, in my mind, in my mind a, a near flawless movie. Like you said, the, the scene on the bridge was the only scene that I, I had a problem with. Uh, but other than that, this movie is about as perfect as you can get. So I, I agree. It gets an A+. This is an all-time classic. Yeah. I wholeheartedly concur. Yeah. All right, everybody, looks like that's it for this episode of the Freaking Geeks podcast. Sarah, how can they get a hold of us and how can they respond um, and let us know what they liked before Sunrise, if they hated it, uh, their opinions on the movie, any questions they might have? How can they do that? 
So if you want to send us emails, voicemails, want to let us know what you think of Before Sunrise or Before Sunset, you know, let us know opinions before we dive into it, you can do so by sending them to freakinggeeksmedia at gmail.com. Also out on Twitter at freakgeeksmedia. Um, also, we're out on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash, you guessed it, freaking geeks. And of course, if you want to hop on to iTunes and give us a rating review, we deeply appreciate it. It gets us noticed and for more people to listen, which is always a plus. All right. That's it, everyone. Looks like we'll uh, see you next week with a review of Before Sunset, the follow up to this movie. Uh, until then, have a good one. We'll catch you next time. Later, geeks.